Well, hey, we're glad you made it this far in the series. If you've been watching throughout our entire series, we're actually in our last week of our series called The Table. And oddly enough, we've been having uh, the start of the year's conversation center entirely around the idea of the Lord's Supper and what it is and what it means and all the nuances of it and what's right and what's wrong and, and what should our posture be. And so uh, hopefully you're, you've been with us the entire time, but if you haven't, uh, that's totally okay. We have all of these messages pre-recorded, and so you can go back to our website and you can catch up on any of these conversations, especially uh, as they intrigue you. We're not going to dive into all the recap like maybe we would on a Sunday morning at one of our locations in person, but I do want to tell you this. This week, we're looking around, right? And so we're saying, what are the implications of the Lord's Supper as we look around? What does that mean? So the first couple of weeks we did this, we said, let's look back, let's look, let's remember, let's look forward, let's see what the implications of this are uh, at the end of everything. Let's look in, how does this uh, pertain to me, the individual? And then this week, I think maybe, honestly, one of the most important weeks of the series because we're going to look around. What does it mean to look around? How do we look around when we take communion. In fact, AJ, uh, I thought that when I took communion, I wasn't supposed to be looking around. I thought I was supposed to be sitting there in my chair uh, with my elements, my cup and my bread, and it was just a me moment between me and God and, and all of that. And so, you know, hopefully um, you've had some kind of exposure to the Lord's Supper. If not, that's totally okay. But I do think we're going to touch exactly on that point right there this week, that that maybe it's not as private of the moment as we've been led to believe, or maybe it was never intended to be strictly a private moment. And so this week, we're going to look around, and I think Paul's going to use some language in here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that's going to indicate, hey, this isn't just for you, the individual, but this has big implications for the people around us. And so to dive into that conversation, we're actually going to look at the same passage we've been in over the last couple of weeks, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Specifically today, we're going to be right there, 17 through 22. So if you have your Bible, now's a great time to pull it out. You can read along with me. If you don't, that's okay. It's going to be on the screen uh, as well right here. So let's dive right in. 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 22. Here's what Paul says. He says, Now, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. And we talked about some of that last week, right? Like Paul's not happy with the church at Corinth right here. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you come together then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for at the meal each one eats his own supper. So one person's hungry while another one gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing. What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. And so we, we talked about this last week, right? Paul gets to the section and you can tell he's fired up. You can tell he's got an issue with the way things are being handled. And, and we're going to dive into that a little bit. But here's the main thing I want you to see uh, right off the bat in that little section, that little, that little excerpt from 17 to 22, verse 18. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. Now, this is not super uncommon, right? Because the church at Corinth has become kind of this melting pot, and so you have a little bit of this culture and a little bit of that culture, and you've got a little bit of a different dynamic everywhere you look. But what it's caused, uh, what's made happen is now the Christians are kind of this hodgepodge of people from different cultures because the gospel's for everybody. But the problem is they've leaked a little bit of their own culture, a little bit of their uh, their own 
financial status, right? Their, their, their hierarchy has kind of leaked into the church. And so it's created these divisions, right? Specifically, here's kind of what's going on. What's going on is the church would come together and they would come together for the Lord's Supper. But before they would ever come together for the Lord's Supper, uh, on the front end, they would have what they call an agape feast. And these agape feasts were just a moment for Christians to get together, right? To to say, hey, we're one, uh, we're part of the same body, we're unified, we want to spend time together. Sometimes it would have elements of prayer and maybe some some reading, I don't know, but, but it was this time for them to say, hey, we're unified, we've got the same goal in mind, we serve the same Jesus, and so we're celebrating together, regardless of our background, regardless of our financial status, regardless of who our mom and dads are, right? All that stuff goes to the wayside. We're coming together because we're united in one thing. And so they would come together for the agape feast and they would sit together, they would eat together. And then at the end of that, they would take the Lord's supper together. They would take that same meal that we've been talking about over the last three weeks that Jesus emphasizes so strongly right before he goes, right? So they would get together, they would have this agape feast. Well, here's the problem. This agape feast that was designed for all of the Christians largely kind of turned into this social gathering where the upper class was able to meet because they didn't need to work as often as the lower class. And so the upper class would get together. And because they got together a little bit earlier, what would kind of happen is they would start throwing this little party and they wouldn't wait on the lower class Christians. And so they would kind of be in the atrium waiting areas. They kind of trickled in and on the other side of those doors, they could hear uh, the upper class having this agape feast. And, and it gets so out of hand at one point that Paul says this, you guys are, are doing this completely wrong. You're, you're getting drunk, you're, you're, you're getting full, and you're never ending up putting the emphasis on the Lord's Supper by the end of it. In fact, when you're doing all this, you're really just segregating the rest of the church and you're making it all about those of you who can afford to be in the room ahead of time. And that's a problem because what is that telling the lower class Christians? It tells them, hey, yeah, we might be unified, but we're not really unified. You might be one of us, but you're not really one of us. In fact, we're going to go ahead and get started without you because it's really not that big of a deal whether you're here or not. And then what would happen is there would be leftovers of the agape feast. And that's kind of what they would say. They're like, oh, well, well, hey, we can take the Lord's Supper. We got some leftovers while they're drunk, while they're full. And it just becomes this giant mess that Paul ends up hearing about. And that's why he's telling them, hey, there's a right way and a wrong way to be doing this feast together. And so you see the context of this passage. The whole reason he's writing this section in particular is because there's disunity amongst believers. Right now, here's what's fascinating about that. You have this disunity amongst believers, and then there's this central piece of the thing that they do when they gather together, take communion, and that's supposed to be this unifying piece. Well, how? Why? Why, why is the Lord's Supper supposed to be unifying? AJ, I thought this was that moment where you went, and you went up to the front, and you grabbed your elements, and you went back to your seat, and it was just this private moment that was really just between you and the Lord. I didn't really think this had a lot to do with unity. But I think the way Paul understands the Lord's Supper, the way that Jesus intended for us to understand the Lord's Supper, it has everything to do with unity, right? It has everything to do with unity. In fact, uh, this is what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine 29, when he's getting upset at them. He says, this is what it means to eat and drink without discerning the body. So he understands this communion, this Lord's Supper, to be this thing that should happen collectively. Why? We're going to get there. Why? Why should it not be this thing that's isolated, that leads to division, that leads to segregation? 
because the Lord's Supper is the one thing that these Christians had in common. This reminder that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was poured out for them regardless of their social status, regardless of their upbringing, regardless of their cultural context, regardless of what family they were born into. Because none of that mattered at the foot of the cross. At the foot of the cross, here's what Jesus said. This gospel is for the rich and it is for the poor. And right now when you guys are gathering, what you're saying is the gospel implications are really only a big deal to certain ones of us. And the rest of them are sitting on the outside looking in and saying, man, I don't feel unified. I know, God, you said that that we're supposed to come together at the foot of the cross. I know you said that we're supposed to be one body that has different members, but I don't feel like that's true right now. I feel like I'm on the outside looking in. And so this act of taking the Lord's Supper is actually designed to be a unifying act. Why? Because it's a reminder to every believer in the local church, hey, this is true for you and it's true for me. So when we gather, this is the truth that we're going to hold on to because it's the only truth that unifies you and me. The truth that we were dead in our trespasses and sins and that Jesus made us alive with him when he beat hell and conquered the grave, right? When he came back to life. And so Paul keeps going and he says, hey, I'm going to kind of end my instruction and I'm going to tell you why this is such a big deal, why this unifying act matters. And he keeps going uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 33 and 34, and he says this, therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone's hungry, he should eat at home. That's not what this meal is about. So that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I will give instructions about the other matters when I come. Now, isn't this fascinating? Right? Paul's saying, hey, 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 when you come together, you need to do it the right way so that you don't come together under judgment. This isn't a social gathering where you're supposed to eat and get full. This is a gathering where you're supposed to stop and remember together that you guys are unified. And then he kind of wraps up with this. This is just like for free. I will give instructions about the other matters when I come. Right? That's fascinating. I wish we could just be a little fly on the wall and actually get to experience his visit to the church at Corinth, but only a fly on the wall because I'm not sure I'd want to be in the room while a lot of that uh, rebuking is going down, but, but I would love to see just what he's talking about, just what those nuances are. Right? And so as we talk about this and as we have this conversation about the Lord's Supper, you see right there in verses 33 and 34, Paul says, this is not how this is supposed to look. We're supposed to be unified. This is not so you can get full. This is not so you can get drunk. This is so that we can remember what it is to be part of the body of Christ together. In fact, here's what the Bible exposition commentary says about this. It says, the Lord's Supper is a family meal, and the Lord of the family desires that his children love one another and care for one another. It is impossible for a true Christian to get closer to his Lord while at the same time being separated from his fellow believers. How can we remember the Lord's death and not love one another? 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. Driving that point home that this is a communal thing. In the foundation of what he did with his death and his resurrection for us, there's the implication that it was for everyone. And if that implication there, and we're supposed to be loving each other, then we should be looking out for each other, especially in the moments where we want to remember and celebrate this together. And that's why Paul gets so fired up. He's like, hey, there's this one moment that should really take precedence over the rest of it. It's the moment you sit down and celebrate what Jesus did for you together. 
And so if you're going to celebrate that, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And if you don't do it the right way, really what you're saying is, you know, maybe we're not that unified. Maybe this wasn't that big of a deal. Maybe it's not the real foundation for this. And so as Paul sees this, he says, hey, the communal nature is so important because what it does is it reminds us that in that death and resurrection, we are all unified. We're one body in Jesus. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 10, just the chapter before this, verses 16 and 17, this is what he says. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. And he's making this point. He's saying, hey, Do you not understand that even when we take communion, we do it a certain way as to emphasize that you are all taking a part of the same body because it was the same body that was broken for you? You're all taking a part of the same element, the same cup, because it was the same blood that was poured out for you. And so he says, there should be no division among you when you take communion. There should be no division within the body. And what the Lord's Supper does is it brings us back to that moment of realization where we gather together and we remind ourselves Man, the Lord did this, not just for me, but for us. And we're taking a part of the same body, the same blood. He did it for us. I love uh, what Luther says, Martin Luther says about this. He says, in this blessed sacrament, Luther defined the effect of the sacrament as the fellowship of the saints, focusing on the word communo, which means fellowship. The Lord's Supper served to assure the Christian that he's part of the church, just as the document might verify that a person's a citizen of a city. Central to Luther's concept of fellowship are the themes of sharing and love. When Christians come together at the table, the spiritual possessions of Christ and the church become common property available to all who receive the sacrament. All sufferings and sins also become common property, and the sharing engenders love that unites the saints. So, he goes a layer deeper. Martin Luther says, man, if we, if we really understand what it is to gather together, then here's what it looks like. When you realize just how unified you are as one body, because it was one body broken for all of you, then what it does is it does what we see in the early church. It leads people to say, hey, brother, you're my brother in Christ. If you have needs, I want to, I want to fill those with my financial gain. Whatever it takes, we want to share our money. We want to share our time. We want you to share your sinful burdens so that we can carry them together. And so even Martin Luther goes back to say, this is exactly what the early church understood. They understood that the Lord's Supper brought them back to unity. And if it brought them back to unity, then they weren't just unified because of the body. They were unified because of the body, but they weren't just unified in the body. They were unified with how they acted as a part of the body, right? The way they shared burdens, the way they shared possessions, all of those different things. He says, this sacred, the, sac- the sacrament is a taskmaster by which we order our lives and learn as long as we live. This, this act, this sacrament that we take together, the Lord's Supper, it is this reminder we are all a part of the same body and that requires something of us. It requires of us what the church at Corinth was not willing to give to one another. It requires that we do things unified. It requires that we have each other's backs. It requires that we're willing to carry the burdens for one another. And I think, I think this is such a struggle for us because if we're honest, the culture that we lives in, or that we live in, keeps preaching this idea 
that, man, you're, you're kind of on your own, right? And you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you need to go get it done. And the only person that's really looking out for you is you. And so what it's done, especially for us here in 2024 America, is I think it's created this sense in which we don't really understand how community should function in the first place, right? We don't really have a good idea of what it looks like to carry somebody's burdens. We don't have a good idea of what it looks like to call up a brother or sister and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this sin and I need some prayer, I need some intercession. We don't know what it looks like to say, hey, you know, maybe you don't need to go take out a loan for that. We just want to help you, right? We don't really understand that because I think in a large way, our culture doesn't really understand what it looks like to live in community. And I think a lot of it is we just miss the foundation, right? We're missing the foundational pieces of that. And so if our culture's not preaching it, and then we have a misunderstanding of Scripture because we're reading it through our culture's lens, then we're going to miss a lot of why Paul's upset and a lot of what Jesus wants for the believers with the body of Christ when they gather, when they take the Lord's Supper. And what's fascinating to me is this is really even rooted in in the Old Testament principle, right? The Day of Atonement. Here's why I say that, because when the Jewish people would gather and the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, that one day of year where he would make a sacrifice for their sins, it wasn't a sacrifice for a sin or for a person. It was sacrifice that was made for the sins of all the people. And so even in their roots, right, they understood, man, this atonement is for all of us. Through Jesus, it's for all of us. And so we can't miss that. We can't say, hey, I really like that I'm included, but I don't want to be that included. We got to look around and we got to say, man, if this is for me, then it's for them. Bobby Jameson says, uh, says it like this. He says, he see, it seems to me that many Christians think the Lord's Supper is an intensified private devotion. I go to church, I hear the word, I eat the bread and drink the wine. I'm reminded of Christ's death and the forgiveness of my sins. I go home. And that's where it stops. And I don't think that's ever how Jesus intended the Lord's Supper to unfold. I don't think that's why, I think that's exactly why Paul's upset because there's a there's a sense of me, there's a sense of I in the Lord's Supper with the church that he's writing to. And, and I think Bobby brings us back to the place where he reminds us, man, yeah, there's a moment in there for you, but it's not just for you. It's not just about you. It's a moment where every Christian together collectively looks around the room and says, man, we've all been afforded the same grace. So we want to look out for each other. And maybe, maybe this is even uh, the bigger and, and one of the biggest points in this, right? And this is kind of the last thing we're going we're gonna to drive home this morning, but it's the reality that when we get it wrong, the world is watching. When we get it right, the world is watching. They're a lot more outspoken about their watching when we get it wrong, but the reality is the people around you, the world around you is watching. And so we need to understand we're not just billions of individuals right? Like culture tells us, we're billions of individuals that make up one body that Jesus died for. That's who we are. And if we have a right understanding about our posture when we get to the Lord's Supper and when we look around the room tonight, if you're watching on the 28th, then what you're going to see is a bunch of people in the same room taking a piece of the same bread, a, a cup of the same blood, looking around and saying, man, Jesus did that for all of them. He did it for me. So how can I step in and how can I love one another? How can I help them carry those burdens? How can I make sure this is not just a me thing, but this is an us thing? A church where social and class distinctions exist is no church at all. A real church is a body of men and women united to each other because all are united to Christ. It's a quote from Barclay, and I love it. Driving home that point, a church is not church if we're a bunch of isolated individuals. Church is church 
when the believers come together and they realize, man, I need to lock arms, I need to dig in, because the same Jesus that died for them is the same Jesus that died for me, and that means something. It's got some weight. So here's the last verse I want to leave you with, this last little piece in uh, John chapter 17. Here's what he says, verses 20 and 21. Pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. What is Jesus saying? He's saying our being rooted in unity together is rooted in how similar the Father and himself are. He's saying, I want them to be one just like we are one. I want it to be so tight-knit that they can't help but, but feel the things that the other person feels. They can't care about, they can't help but care about the things the other person cares about, right? And when you look around the room Sunday night and we take the Lord's Supper, it's going to be that moment where you realize, man, I'm not in this alone. I'm in this with a bunch of other believers who are struggling and fighting against the same sin and have a lot of the same burdens, and I need to link arms, lock arms with them, and dig in for the sake of our relationship together and for the sake of a right understanding of just what Jesus did when he came to unify the body. That's why it's so important to look around. When we hurt our relationships with other believers, we hinder the spread of the gospel because the world is watching. And if they look and they say, man, they can't even get it right inside their own doors, why would I want to be a part of that? We have a problem. But if we set the standard, the standard that's rooted in the same unity that Jesus talks about, then I don't think we get it wrong as much. I think we get it right. I think the world watches. And I think instead of becoming uh, repulsive, it becomes attractive to a hurting world that's desperately craving unity, especially a world that right now, more than ever, is becoming isolated uh, to a full, full extent. And so when we dig in, when we take this Lord's Supper tonight on the 28th, if you're watching, it's going to be a good moment where we look around and we say, man, it's bigger than just me tonight. It's the gospel that was for me, but it's also the gospel that was for them. And we're going to get to stand around a room together and be united by that truth. And hopefully what we'll see that do is we're going to see that truth change just how we think about other believers, just how we treat other believers, regardless of their affiliations, regardless of their social status, regardless of their upbringing, regardless of their previous beliefs, right? Because we are all united at the foot of the cross. The Lord's Supper together is one of the clearest statements that we're going to get to make to one another because it says, hey, I understand. I didn't deserve it just like you didn't deserve it, but here we are undeserving of it at the same table, locked hand in hand, because we understand just what's been afforded to us, and so we want to afford it to each other. We can't miss that. It's such a crucial piece to the Lord's Supper and how we take it together and what we understand about it. So hopefully you'll be with us tonight. If you're watching this Sunday morning, you'll be with us uh, for the Lord's Supper at our night of worship in Brantford, 6 p.m. Don't miss it. It's going to be a phenomenal time together. I'm excited to do this with other believers who I'm calling brothers and sisters, uh, other believers who I know, other believers who I don't know that well yet, but I'm going to get to lock arms with them and carry burdens and be reminded that we share burdens Sunday night. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for today. God, thank you uh, for the truth of the reality um, that's rooted in the Lord's Supper, that's rooted in who you and the Father are ultimately, God. And I pray that we would strive for unity, God. I pray that we would be a church that doesn't need a letter from Paul to remind us that um, 
we need to keep the main thing the main thing. Father, I pray that we would just do that, that we would have a clear understanding because of your spirit and how it illuminates your word, God, this morning uh, across all of our locations. God, wherever, as we teach this, as we unpack this, Father. So I pray that you would do that. I pray that it would be clear, and I pray that this church would be different because of how we understand the Lord's Supper. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.